Going to the doctor's office is scary. Medical terminology is confusing. Dr. Shiv Rao, the founder of Abridge, has come up with a novel solution to that anxiety, those problems, while also addressing the problem of doctor burnout that is facing most major healthcare providers. In this interview, we talk about his company, Abridge, how they use ambient computing and natural language processing to understand and annotate meetings with your doctor. This is a fascinating conversation in a very fast growing company that has raised tens of millions of dollars. Stay with us. What is a bridge and what is the core product that you are building? So a bridge uses machine learning to summarize and structure medical conversations to improve the care delivery experience. And really, like the company is based on a thesis that when you think about it, healthcare is really driven by conversations like this. People, whether it's doctors, whether it's nurses, but professionals are talking to people, and they're doing it increasingly over telemedicine, you know, over video. They're also having phone conversations, they're always gonna have in-person conversations as well. And we've been building technology that can ambiently be a part of those conversations. No wake words, no like, hey, do this, hey, that, no like kind of catchphrases, just ambiently in the background, be a part of those conversations without getting in the way of them. And then create a summary that can help everyone involved. And the most important people we think in healthcare are patients first and foremost, but also the, that care team around them. And so what that looks like from the demos that I've seen is someone opens an app on their phone and ambiently, once the app's open, it's listening to the conversation between patient and doctor. And one of the nuances there that most people have experienced is you're, paying, you're locked in and paying attention, it's your health at stake, and yet there could be terms, there could be words that just go over one's head, and a, you know, a great doctor is going to bring it down to the level that you're at, but there's still you know, maybe the articulation of what a medication is or the, the technical definition of a condition that just has a, a complex you know, nature to it that some people won't necessarily grok. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like all of us as people can relate to that pain point, which is it's so difficult to remember, much less understand and follow through on the medical conversations that we have. And there's really good research to support that people forget up to 80% of, of what we've heard in medical conversations. And at the same time, as a, as a cardiologist, I can relate to the other side of the story which is that as a professional, we forget the details of the conversations that we've had with patients. And as, as I go from one room to another when I'm in clinic, I usually have a piece of paper where I'm taking down some chicken scratch. And then at the end of the day, I'm going through all these pieces of paper with chicken scratch, and I'm trying to decode, I'm trying to listen, relive like conversations I had earlier in the day so that I can document them like accurately in the medical record in a way that can help not just other clinicians, really quickly, you know, get up to speed with the care plan that I discussed with that patient, but also in a way that will help with like billing and coding oriented use cases from a back office revenue perspective for the system, but also in a way that when the patient actually sees that summary, they'll make sense of it. Like they'll be able to immediately relate or remember like the details of what we talked about. And in terms of continuing to drive value, so, so we can see very clearly if the understanding of what the doctor diagnosed or an understanding of the symptoms that were discussed and displayed or uh, conversed about by the patient, that's gonna lead to better health outcomes. But this is also a business. And another kind of part of the story, I've seen these surveys, you're probably much more familiar with them, 
of you know the part of the job that the doctor resents the most, or that is the hardest to actually get through, is the slog of administrative work, keeping those medical records up to date, making sure that the articulation of what you know prescription was put in is in alignment in accordance to the codes that the insurance carrier puts upon uh, that kind of patient's medical care, and in any way, shape, or form, reducing that load, which it sounds like a bridge could do is a huge, huge win at just like a day-to-day -day execution of the healthcare business. Yeah, spot on. That is like a soul-crushing experience for clinicians, doctors, nurses. At the end of the day, after dinner, to have to log into their medical record and write these notes. And not just notes, but it's all the stuff that comes downstream of those notes as well. But all that clerical work causes an incredible amount of burnout. And this burnout issue, it used to be a thing that we, we talked about and like the system at large was like, let's get ahead of this. And I think at this moment in time, it feels like a public health crisis where hospital systems, you know, anyone who's delivering care is having a really hard time retaining their clinicians, is having a hard time kind of uh, optimizing, you know, their productivity, optimizing their impact, scaling their impact to the amount of demand, the amount of people who actually need care. And so finding ways to leverage technology that can help clinicians, not just with their clerical work, but I think aspirationally create technology that can be an extension of their best intention to be there for their patients, even when they're not in front of them, is what we started this company with, like that ambition to really improve the care delivery experience for everyone involved. Yeah, and so let's talk about actually the technology that makes that possible. So. Yeah. Uh, folks are in some way, shape, or form aware of ambient computing and natural language processing as it pertains to the technologies that they interface with. Maybe they have an Amazon Alexa or they don't. Maybe they've talked with Siri on their phone. So they're aware that a computer can kind of make sense of spoken word, but telling uh, Alexa that I want to buy another you know, pack of playing cards or telling Siri to please open the specific name of the app that I need is a very different problem than accurately documenting the complex medical terminology that can be used either in a meeting with a patient or as part of the doctor's recommendations for prescriptions and other kind of uh, medical notation that would be used in that insurance case. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a very different problem. And I think that we're in this really exciting moment right now, I think, in terms of machine learning, what AI for healthcare and in general, what, what's, what's being accomplished, like what's possible now is so different than even what was possible a few years ago with the latest architectures, the latest you know, deep learning. So what we do is, I, I, I think this starts with the mission of the company to actually improve that experience and, and help people really connect. What we do is we sit in the back, we're ambient, we're truly ambient. We, there's no like, hey, do this, hey, do that. There's no wake words that you need to remember, kind of like that Siri example that you mentioned. And that also kind of raises the difficulty level um, in terms of what the technology needs to accomplish. Because what the tech needs to do is make sense of everything the patient said, everything that the provider said, and uh, sort of make predictions on whether or not whatever was said belongs in a note. So we, we live in Pittsburgh. When I'm in clinic, oftentimes, first 15 minutes of the conversation with the patient is about the Steelers. Or you know, <laughs> or about the weather or whatever, and you know, you could have a thirty-minute conversation with someone, and maybe there's only like actually five minutes of signal that should really be captured in the note. Maybe twenty-five minutes was about families, the Steelers, the weather. Who knows? And so, finding a way to build a system 
that can accurately predict where that signal actually lied, uh, where it was in the conversation. And then, not just distill or abridge the conversation from a 30-minute conversation down to five minutes of signal, but then classify everything that we said into the different parts of a note that clinicians write. And clinicians write notes in an archetypal way, whether it's in the United States or really when you even think about the international market, we all write notes in an archetypal way that some people call the SOAP note structure. Okay. It stands for subjective, which is like the patient story. Objective, which is maybe a physical exam that you did, which is maybe not spoken, so not something that we you know, focus on from an automation perspective. But then there, there's the care plan, or the assessment and plan, so SOAP. And so what the technology needs to do is predict, well, what kind of information was this? Was this care plan? Was this related to allergies, which might go into that patient story section? Was this related to like social history? Was it like tobacco use related? That should go in its own section. So there's all these subsections, and the technology needs to classify every utterance and slot them into the different sections. But then the last piece, and the, the, the last challenge, which I think in some ways is the most exciting and the most aspirational piece of what we already do today, is we summarize. And this is in that generative space of AI, where we're seeing so many headlines every day. We're seeing headlines over the last couple of days about Jasper, for example, and GPT-3 we've heard so much about, and there's Dolly, you know, Imogen from Google. There's so many generative technologies now yeah. that can create where you're, you're asking a machine to actually create pictures from prose or, you know, in our case, summarize dialogue, summarize conversations in a specific format. And for us, what was really important when we started the company, knowing what we were working backwards from, was that this format maps to all the value that we could create, not just for clinicians, but also for people. Because when you think about it, what's the first thing that patients and their families ask each other when they leave a doctor or a nurse? And I think we can all relate to this. It's like, what did they just say? What are we supposed to do? Like, what's next? Who are we supposed to call? And so that's the care plan. So there's this, there's this Venn overlap between the most important people in healthcare that we're really looking to solve for in the long term. I'm interviewing you on a very interesting day. My dad's an engineer, and he was at the doctor's appointment with my daughter this morning oh, wow. because grandma and grandpa had taken his mom and dad were working, and I got the item by item, like this is what the doctor said, this is the medication, and he's, he's that way by nature and kind of, yeah. a, kind of an extreme edge case, but the reality is that the majority of folks, even just the intake to note-taking, even if they're an early doctor, there is that kind of lossiness to the information that's conveyed. And so the value prop there is really interesting. I want to take it back to the business model again and how a company like a bridge actually thinks about scaling revenue. Because I think, I think we can understand, you know, at some non-economic level, if we get better patient outcomes, if there's less loss of, uh, you know, important medical info being conveyed, that is a net good for society. But in terms of the business that you're building, who is the buyer? What is the business model that underpins your team's ability to build this technology? Yeah. I'd say that anyone who is delivering care in any way, shape, or, shape or form can benefit from this technology in addressing one of the biggest challenges right now, which is that public health crisis. It's around efficiencies, it's around burnout, it's around experiences um, for not just the professionals, but also for their patients. And so we have technology that's flexible, that can be baked in as an API into a call center, that can be integrated into a telemedicine conversation, that can be also used as an app 
whether it's the doctor bringing it in and, and you're familiar with the patient app, yeah. it can be brought into a conversation in person. And so the, from a, a, like a go-to-market perspective, when you think about you know, conversations that are happening, there are over two billion conversations that happen related to healthcare every year in just the United States. Just the United States. So it's, healthcare is really driven by this. It's driven by by dialogue. And so when we think about that, those pain points out there, I think we think about provider systems like hospitals, yeah. and how can we kind of get this uh, integrated with all the conversations that are happen happening, whether it's in, like um, putting the app in doctors' hands or whether it's integrating it into telemedicine or call centers. Um, but then I think uh, there is the, the efficiency piece of the story. You know, we're helping people better remember, understand, um, and then follow through in terms of the documentation that they have to do on the conversation. But then I think you also kind of hinted at that aspirational improve outcomes um, story, which is absolutely, it's a longer game to play. Yeah. And every company says they want to improve outcomes, but that's a, that's a I mean, I think to, to really do that and prove that out in a rigorous way, it requires clinical trials, it requires a lot of volume, um, but absolutely, I think over time what we want to be able to demonstrate is that when this technology is integrated into the conversation, experiences improve, but that also, that improved experience can actually lead to improved quality of conversations, which can lead to improved care delivery, which can improve to better understanding on the patient side too, which yeah. means that it should lead to better follow-through. And if it leads to better follow-through, then the outcomes should follow. So it's a that outcome story. I think is a longer game to play than like that now term efficiencies and, and burnout narrative. But I think that narrative too is so profound. I, like being able to address it should set us up to tell the bigger picture story. Yeah. One of the big things that you know is just a basic business best practice, regardless of industry, yeah. is to find the highest leverage. And people use analogies like the 80-20. Like what is it actually that's moving the needle? Um, and that could be in you know what the actual maybe use case or application that the patient or the, the buyer really wants. And another thing could be how do you actually have the most leverage to attain more market share, grow revenue on the top line. And what I hear, and what and as I think more about the business that you're building, what I hear is you have these two really interesting levers to potentially almost uh, I, don't, I wouldn't say necessarily bootstrap, but like uh, force your way into eventually being a really broadly held consumer app, which is first of all, if you are an API that is embedded within some other software platform, we are the telehealth video platform for hospitals. We are the you know call center when when folks call in, uh, you know uh, mechanism or software that manages that for some big health system. Yeah. If they're embedding a bridge or your technology there, then you're there more or less on the front lines, uh, you know, kind of behind their effective shield and their entire enterprise go-to-market solution. And then further, if you are able to actually just sell a bridge directly into the health system and have doctors using it as a doctor, uh, the, the doctor side app that you've articulated, built, then you can imagine, and I, I know this once again from personal experience, if the health system says, hey, you need this software to, to meet with us, or hey, like, yeah. make sure you have this ready before the yeah. call, you're gonna do it, yeah. maybe, maybe not with perfect compliance, yeah. but at a relatively high basis. Yeah, 100%. Part of it, I think, was addressing what the technology is doing, is taking something, like a really long conversation, and distilling it down, abridging it, and pulling out the essence in a way, in a, in a shape, that can help everyone involved. And then, I think there's also this idea of, of can this, you know, building ambient technology that can actually create this better connection, you know, build this bridge, 
bridge the gap of understanding, you know, between both sides, professionals and, and their patients, both sides. You know, people, uh, doctors, you know, better remembering their patient's story. And then on the other side, patients better recollecting the shared decision-making they went through, the care plans that they agreed upon, um, those recommendations. So, but, and then the last piece, of course, Pittsburgh City of Bridges. And, and I think that the way we sequenced the company when we first started, and our first pitch deck um, that, that we took to Union Square Ventures, the last slide was like, imagine the future where, like you were just saying, where professionals are bringing this in, which is then spreading the work with patients, which is then spreading the work with their professionals, their other professionals, the extended care team, but also their family members, and then that's going to their professionals, and then you can start to see this actually grow in a viral way. And, and that's something that's pretty unprecedented in healthcare for that kind of growth to actually get unlocked. But these sets of end users, we have a thesis that you know we believe strongly like we can actually unlock it. And so when we started out, we recognized that a lot of this machine learning centered work was going to be deep tech research, capital R, lowercase d, um, in the first couple years. And we still got started, raised capital to aggregate a really large data set, spent years annotating, re-annotating, re-annotating that data set to be able to build models that could actually create the user experiences we were working backwards from. But as we were doing that R&D, in July 2019, we put that free consumer app out there. And with that free consumer app, our thesis was, we don't need to hold our breath on the R&D to create value here, especially on the patient side, because there's nothing else out there like this. Yeah. And, and, we and, and just to, yeah. to reinforce that, the first time I saw it and understood the use case, it was a genuine like light bulb moment. Like I see the value immediately, and I cannot even think of anything still that is anything like what I saw. Now, I've seen other, like you said, the generative, like, hey, I gave you these descriptive words and out pops and yeah. generated a piece of art yeah. or a piece of writing. That is not the same as something that is understanding and comprehending medical terminology right there live as you say ambiently. Totally. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and, that, and that, that consumer app that's, that over 200,000 people have used, like that app, um, it's it's like a, a souped up version um, of of like a it's a, it's a comp it's it's a solution that I think decodes the conversation. It translates the jargon. It can pull out the takeaways and then actually nudge you in a week or in two weeks with those takeaways. Like, hey, remember when you were told to start this medication? You should really listen to that moment. Yeah. And it helps them follow through in that way. And it still isn't the super deep R&D that we've been doing all along on the, the provider side to actually summarize that note in the style and the format that the enterprise demands. And so I, over the last six to eight months where the company is inflected is that technology is ready on the provider side and we've been testing it, and we've been putting it out there, and we've been using it. So all that work kind of has culminated in a moment now where we can tell both sides of the story. Yeah. And where we are from a go-to-market and from a revenue perspective, focused on the enterprise uh, side of this, because that is, to your point, like, you, you gotta find your wedge, and where's that highest leverage, you know, like the, the, the best lever, you know, the most, um, you know, significant and low-hanging lever that you can pull, and it's it's absolutely on the burnout side. You know, with the staffing shortages that professionals, that healthcare professionals, providers are experiencing with their professionals, and 
I think that the one more thing now is like, hey, professional, use this. We're going to unburden you from all the clerical work that's soul crushing at night. But then there's also this ability to, for you to have a better conversation, focus on your patient, which in and of itself should improve the quality of the care that you're delivering, but also to actually extend that care plan to the patient using our technology in a way that can help them better remember, understand, follow through. And when I very externally look at what some of the healthcare systems are trying to do, they're trying to, as they grow, be, I don't want to say all things to all people, but occupy as many of the spaces as possible. They want to potentially touch pharmacy, they, they're going to touch surgery, they're going to touch you know, primary care, they're going to touch all these different parts of your life to own that entire healthcare life cycle, which does provide value to the patient, but has this enormous physical cost. You need physical uh, doctors, maybe it's in a telehealth visit, but you need them there present. You need these huge hospitals and emergency rooms and all this equipment. It, it really, when, when you think about the, the starting with that utility of being able to make sense of the, this terminology and then using that as a beachhead to really, in the same way, expand into all different parts of the uh, healthcare experience where you are touching the doctor, you are touching some sort of interface potentially with the insurance carrier and the interface of the patient, it's a similar type of uh, universality platform that makes this a really attractive type of business model to uh, a VC. And when you also hear the flywheel effect that you've articulated, that's when their you know, eyes theoretically light, light up. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that there's the, the flywheel that we chatted about, and there's also like the data network effect. So being able to put a consumer app out there gives us the ability with, um, you know, with, a, with a privacy policy that allows us to ask for permission to de-identify data and then train data against it to improve the same underlying machine learning models that can improve the experience for everyone involved. In a way, patients, like consumers, helped us build the solution for their doctors. And I think that there's something paradoxically profound in that. There's a really good quote in like the healthcare tech circles around how uh, people, you know, patients are the most underutilized resource that we don't, the system hasn't found a way to kind of really bring them in. Um, maybe because of the way the power structures work, maybe because of just all the asymmetry in healthcare and like in the healthcare delivery experience in general. But if we're act actually designing a system with the person at the center then there'd be so many ways to actually pull them into helping not just design but but create like a better experience and the simple act of people using a bridge is actually allowing us to build a solution that can you know create an enterprise um, solution which which I've always found like like yeah just really nice <laughs> it's really cool yeah. um, and, and, and your passion is evident for this problem uh, the Steve Jobs quote you know at, Life makes a lot more sense when you start looking backwards at the different belief paths that you had to uh, hop across. You've articulated, you're a cardiologist, you're now the founder of a fast-growing machine learning uh, health tech startup. Help us connect a couple more dots as to how you prepared yourself to be able to build uh, such an interesting company. I'm really lucky and privileged to be in the position I'm in, and I think that a bridge is where it's at because of the people who are building it, and so it's everyone I've surrounded myself with. So, um, and like it's, it's getting a lot of really smart, really creative, really deep thinkers who are also mission driven and putting them in a room and finding ways to collide with each other to get at better things, to get at better ideas. I, I think that the idea of being able to put like a doctor in the same room as a designer, as like a product person, as 
a machine learning PhD or a master's student or whatever, like putting those different types of brains in the same room and getting them to collide, I, I think is magical in and of itself because that doesn't happen a lot. And so finding a way to build a company like that, which is, is what I think we've always been about. Um, and, and so we're excited about like where it's gonna take us from here on. Um, in terms of my background, like prior to this company, I got a lot of really great investor experience as, as a corporate VC at a really large hospital system at UPMC, and got to learn by riding shotgun um, with CEOs on boards, got to also invest capital into tech companies, but also into Carnegie Mellon's machine learning department, and their machine learning and health program, various uh, professors, um, we funded research that they were doing, basic machine learning research. Um, and way back in the day, I went to, to Carnegie Mellon um, and then took a circuitous path to becoming a doctor in the middle. But I think in a way, a bridge, you know, when you look backwards per that jobs quote, I think that the, it's exciting to be able to pull from all the different things. And I think everybody in the company is probably doing the same thing. But pulling from all of, our, all of like the dots, you know, uh, across our experiences to, to, you know, create a picture that resonates with the mission. And so for me, it's like pulling not just the, the, the tech background or the investor background, but also like the clinician background, but also really importantly, you know, the patient background. Having been on the other side of the table as a patient with family members going through things and recognizing that even as a doctor, you know, the first question I would ask myself or my wife and I would ask ourselves after a doctor's visit was like, what did they just say? What are we supposed to do? And recognizing that there's such a big opportunity um, to build something that can help everyone. Yeah. Folks that are in the entrepreneur space, they're, they're much more akin to hearing product market fit, but I, I also like the idea of founder market fit, where it was that you know, Venn diagram of time as a clinician uh, having actually see, sat at the investor table, on the investor side of the table, and seeing how capital gets allocated, how that informs you know, the, the capital structure of your business, and then also interfacing with the cutting edge of this machine learning research. It, it, it puts you in this, like you said, privileged position, but also, you know, kind of a, puts a burden of responsibility onto you to actually do something with it because you get that feeling of, I, I can't relate to precisely the same yeah, thing, but yeah. you get this feeling of it's like, someone got to do something with this. Like, like this, this needs to happen because there is the burnout, there are these problems that we're facing. I see a solution. Like, I have to, have, I have to make this thing occur. Yeah, absolutely. No question about it. And I still see just a few patients every month, um, mostly the dog food, the technology, and also stay somewhat connected to that clinical background. So next Tuesday, I'll see patients in clinic. Like you said, it's a privileged position to be able to use your own technology on both sides, but to, to, to recognize that there's, there's like a really big problem that we're solving and that it can scale and that it can create value for everyone over time is is yeah it's it's super exciting and energizing and hearing that you know reminds me i'm just i'm a nerd for the entrepreneurial stories you hear sam walton the creator of walmart and like to even when he was beyond any sort of economic need he was still walking through his store identifying things that they could have done to tweak the retail experience and still actually be there on the ground level or um blanket on the guy the, the guy behind uh, rolls royce similar thing where like on his deathbed he was writing like subtle tweaks to you know the way that some particular nuance of the engine was was constructed, and there's a degree of obsession. There's a degree of kind of like you know other you know mental health analysis that needs to go on there. But there is a degree to which the reason that what they were able to bring to market was so special was because it wasn't an academic 
experiment. It wasn't something where like we just squirreled away and like shut ourselves off from society while we put this thing together. It's actually I'm trying to get you know reps and touch points in the real world with its application and see where the weak points are, testing those so that it can be something great. Yeah, absolutely. And and um, I don't know that that I belong in the same conversations as any of the names that we've been talking about, but absolutely at that high level of abstraction, it's the same. I think inspiration that we can all take, and I, I, it's just like it's an exciting thing to be a part of a solution that you know can help not just yourself but also everyone you know, because we're really going after being able to solve this bigger challenge and improve that care, care delivery experience for everyone. You know, the patient side, the family side, that all of us can relate to, but also the professional side. Um, like on the, on the doctor side, I'm that doctor who would would see patients and then not get my notes done for a couple days. Yeah. And then the weekend would come around. And then I'd be looking at my chicken scratch and trying to remember what that was about. Yeah. And then sometimes I'd call my patients, super embarrassed, just to like make sure that I didn't miss anything. Um, and so, um, absolutely, I'm like the worst offender. Uh, or, or the perfect person, um, the person, person number one who needs this technology. But it's also real. So I was talking with a friend uh, the other day about like how I got into marketing from a background in economics. And it was like, when well, you're taught everyone's rational and then you like have a little bit of life experience like people are not rational. So like we need to come with some other understanding besides just incentives, why people do what they do. And it's like, if we're all lying to ourselves and thinking that every doctor's perfect in their notation taking every single instance, then of course we're not going to come up with a solution for it. But you had the ability to be like, yes, this is this is here, and I'm not the only person suffering this problem. That's a, absolutely that's another picture as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you mentioned you used that word lossy before, and it's lossiness on both sides. You know, yeah. on the professional side, there is a lot of loss. Um, we we lose just so much fidelity from the dialogue, the conversation itself, to the document. So much, like just just never gets captured, that could create so much value for the professional, for the patient, but also for the system. So for example, if, if I'm a really busy surgeon and I'm seeing a patient, I might take 30 minutes to go through a procedure that we're about to do, talk through all the different details, all the things that could go right and wrong, the alternatives, um, might make a lot of different recommendations, use metaphors to teach some concept, yeah. and then my note might be four lines long. And all that information that never got captured anywhere is, I think, the information that could help not just the system like recognize and reward the clinician for the time that they spent and the amount of conditions, problems they addressed, but also that's information that the patient would really benefit from. Because those four lines with medical jargon aren't necessarily going to be the, the lines that they 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 want to remember or um, necessarily even understand. That's that's powerful. I want to uh, step out for, for a second from what we've talked about so far. And um, there was a uh, I was listening to an in, uh, an interview uh, with Sam Altman, who formerly ran Y Combinator, now runs OpenAI. And he said the most interesting companies will focus on the last one percent, the layer on top of the big data set of natural language processing. And what he's basically saying is OpenAI is creating this generalized, their, their GPT-3 is what makes these generative AIs possible, but they're really focused on the regular, normal 99% of conversations that happen, and then being able to layer some degree of expertise on top 
is where he sees all these really interesting business models potentially being built. Mm -hmm. And what that draws in terms of metaphors to teach is in a similar way, the first companies that recognize that they didn't need to rack their own servers anymore. And they could just offload this really, you know, historically tedious, cumbersome, expensive technological problem to Amazon Web Services or some other cloud provider, and then just focus on a very narrow domain of expertise is what unlocked their potentiality as a business. Can you just talk a little bit more about how that has enabled, in addition to product market fit, uh, a kind of company timing fit for a bridge to be built? Highly relevant to the way we've built technology over the last few years, where when we started the company, we made some bets on where in the stack we should focus. Like where should we really build proprietary technology, really focus, um, and the last mile that I think you, you spoke to sort of speaks in my head to getting to the top of the stack. Like value moves up and sprinting up as fast as you can and recognizing that you can build on top of existing technologies um, is what it's all about. And so when we first started the company, we made a strategic decision around speech transcription. And the idea was, well, who's going to win in the speech transcription space? Like that generalizable, sort of generalized, you know, off-the-shelf sort of speech transcription space. It's going to be us, or is it going to be like Google, or Microsoft, or Amazon, you know, one of those big tech companies. And it made total sense that it's going to be them, you know, building that core technology. And OpenAI just put out Whisper a few a few weeks ago that is in that ASR space. And MIT license, anybody could leverage it and start to build on top of it. So we made a bet that that's not the layer of the stack. The bottom is not where we should be focusing. We should be leveraging. We should be building on top. And so as we think about what's on top for this specific challenge, we get into healthcare-specific natural language processing natural language understanding, but also natural language generation. And that generation is at the top, I think, from a core technology perspective, but then we also thought about the UI and like the user experiences that sit on top of that. Like, What would actually make sense? What would resonate with a doctor? What would work for a patient? And so finding a way to sort of take a slice you know, across all of it um, from the get-go is, is what we've been doing. So even in that free consumer app that we put out um, that hundreds of thousands of people are using, like that's a slice of UI, UX, and like all that goes into that. It's, it's also integrating all the NLG. There's, like, there's that work in there. There's NLP. There's NLU. And of course, there's speech transcriptions you know, at, the, at the bottom of it. And now at this, you know, the, the enterprise-grade summarization um, technology that we're selling to, to doctors, to hospital systems, um, et cetera, that technology is, is really like, it's the core technology. And while it can be an API and, and just integrate, there's also a UI and UX component to that as well when we go full stack. And it's highly unlikely they're going to build a better UI experience than you guys. You have influenced me in a very uh, specific way. Every time I say a particular phrase, I think of you, and it actually killed away. I used to say something in the past I, I just did now. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, as opposed to saying, killing two birds with one stone. I heard you say that once on a call, and I have never, other than just right now, <laughs> said, kill two birds with one stone ever again. Because in my head, I started to hear two birds, and I, I'm used to ending yeah. it with that loop.
can you just talk about specifically, have you always said that, or did you make an intentional choice to switch your language to that at some point in time? I, I think that there's like there's two bird-related sayings. Yeah. There's like the bird in the hand better than two in the bush. Yeah. Um, about taking what, what you got, like taking advantage, being opportunistic, all those things. And then there's the other version, which is like, doing two things at once, you know, solving two problems at once. And I, I think the saying maybe is, could be, the better one could be like, feed two birds yes. with one scone, or feed two birds with one palm, or whatever right. <laughs> version of that makes sense. But um, no, that, that, I think that came up in, the, in, in company meetings, actually, when we would sometimes say, kill two birds, but then we would correct ourselves pretty quickly. Yeah. It's, it's funny, like, in, in, in business and in startups, how many metaphors are war-related. Yeah. And, <laughs> and and when you think about it, and, and which ones can be reframed in a way, um, and this one felt like one of those that could be easily reframed in a, in a more positive light. Yeah, I mean, we were on the call, and you, you, you said it so smoothly, but the, it started with the two birds. I was like, I think, I, you, you know, your mind, yeah, 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 I think totally. I know where this is going, and totally. then it didn't, and I was like, whoa, I just took it to the, the <laughs> way. So that's a, a subtle way in which you've influenced me that I really appreciate. I wanted to thank you for that. Yeah, thank you. Um, this has been fantastic. I am so excited about what you guys are building. Anything else you're hoping to share today that I just didn't give you the chance to? I think that the, the, my key ask for anyone out there who's listening is that the next time they see their professional, whether it's a doctor or a nurse or a care manager, that they tell them about a bridge and then they tell them to go to our website and get a demo because this is technology that we can equip them with very, very quickly. What's interesting about what we've built is it doesn't require any like months of integration you know there's not the only signal it requires our technology to create value is the conversation and that's spoken so the barrier to entry on creating some value for for, for an end user is, is pretty low um, so and I think all of us can relate to seeing a professional and them having to turn their back to us because they're writing in their computer they're distracted and they're stressed out and so um, being able to alleviate that burden um, for our care teams is, is, is what we're all about. And so, yeah, I think that's, that's my, my, key, my, my key call to action or ask for everyone. Right on. Uh, and if folks want to uh, direct them to the website or follow along with what you guys are doing, what digital coordinates should we provide people? Yeah, so you can go to bridge.com. Um, and you'll see information there where you can kind of sign up for a demo, you can get more information, but you can also follow us on Twitter, uh, Abridge has an account, and LinkedIn as well. Beautiful. All that's going to be linked in the show notes, goingdeepwithinner.com slash podcast for every single episode of the show. But before I let you go, I'd like to give you the mic one final time shift to issue an actionable personal challenge to the audience. I'm not sure if this is a challenge as much as something that um, I've internalized over, especially over the pandemic over the last couple of years and how weird it's been for all of us. But the going to sleep, um, I, I used to like kind of go to sleep sort of hungry and I'd wake up hungry, you know. Uh, I, don't mean, I don't mean literally, but like just sort of dissatisfied like with the progress of the day. I wish I got more done. Yeah. And then I'd wake up in the morning and be like, ah, oh, man, wish I got more done like yesterday. I got to do more today. And um, something that I think helped me a lot of the last couple, like, couple years is, is trying to make a habit of going to sleep grateful. Just going through the list of all, of all the ways you know, that I've, I've been so privileged to be a part of this, for example, this, this company and this mission, and to be working with the people that I work with on a daily basis. 
but then still waking up hungry, still waking up dissatisfied, because that little chip on your shoulder can kind of drive the work of the day. But finding a way to kind of go to sleep grateful and then wake up dissatisfied, I think has helped propel me and, and productivity over the last couple of months. So hopefully, knock on wood, it's, it's something that can last, um, but so far so good. I love it. I'm going to take the challenge. I hope everyone out there does as well. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks so much, Aaron. Really appreciate it. We just went deep with Dr. Shiv Drow. Hope everyone out there has a fantastic day. Thanks for listening to the end of this conversation. If you enjoyed it, you'd also enjoy our conversation with Dr. Timothy Wong, who's focused on making healthcare more accessible and affordable with a no insurance clinic where patients can see the doctor for just $25. Go check it out.